0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Field Street Students podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today I want to talk to you about how we've got it all wrong. So, if you are looking for a little afternoon or evening or morning, whatever you listen to this, little feel-good listen, um, I'm going to forewarn you, this isn't the place for you, but... I hope you stay tuned in. I want to start out by giving you a stat that really bothered me. And I hope it bothers you too. Barna, who is a uh, ministry who does research, essentially, of the local church, of our country, religious beliefs, so on. They did a study in 1993 that found 89% of professing Christians, those who believe in Jesus, have a responsibility to share the gospel, that it's their responsibility to share the gospel. So in 1993, about 9 out of 10 self-professing Christians said, "It's yeah, it's my responsibility to share the gospel. It's really not, I mean, it's not ideal, but really not too bad, 9 out of 10. Now fast forward last year, 2018, Barna did the same thing. They followed up that study But putting out the same poll, and what they found was that 64% of Christians believe it's their responsibility to share the gospel. Now, a 25% alarming, sad drop over the past 25 years. Now, I think that stat that says only 64%, you might say, well, that's the majority, but really it's failing... Only 64% of Christians today believe it's their responsibility to share the gospel. I think that can tie directly to a common misconception in the American church today. It's the misconception that so many hold, this belief that so many hold, that I did for a long time when I was young, honestly, that says this whole evangelism thing, the idea of sharing the gospel, is the responsibility of sharing the gospel, is the pastor's job. It's the youth pastor's job. After all, it's what we pay them for. It's the church staff's job. Now, you might be listening to this. You might have that understanding. You might not. But either way, let me counter that thought with this question. Is it only the pastor's job to love God? If we're going to say that it's the pastor's job or the youth pastor's job or the staff's job to share the gospel and their responsibility. After all, it's what we're paying for. I want to follow up with this question and ask you this. Is it only their job, is it only the pastor's job to love God? Now your response is probably, well, of course not. But let me show you this. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. And then later, Matthew 28, Jesus gives this inescapable command to, you know it, go and make disciples. So if we do love God, it really means we're going to obey God in response to that love. And if we're going to obey God, it means obeying all of his commands, including the cause, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Why did I say the cause? Because I believe Matthew 28, go and make disciples, forever it's been called the Great Commission. This is the cause of the local church. Not just the pastor, not just the youth pastor, not just the staff, but the local church, the body of Christ. Christians, believers, disciples, followers of Christ, whatever you want to call them, this is the cause of the local church. Gospel advancement, to go and make disciples. Now I want to give you some other numbers. We're going through them kind of quickly. Today, in 2019, there's just over 327 million people in the United States. We live in Texas. It's a big state. 28 million of those 327 million live in Texas. Now, you talk about students, talk about teenagers. There's 25, roughly, 25 million teenagers in the United States. Six million of those, nearly a quarter, live in Texas. Now, according to the Southern Baptist Texas Convention, as of just a couple years ago, seven out of ten people in the state of Texas don't know Jesus. They're lost. So, if you were to grab just ten random Texans, whoever you want to take, Walker, Texas Ranger, Nolan, Ryan, me, your local cashier at Walmart, whoever you want to take, ten Texans, and you were to place them in a room, according to stats, seven of them are not going to know And if you line that up, stack it up against the stat that says 6 million teenagers live in Texas, that means about 4 million, in fact 4.2 million of those 6 million teenagers in Texas are lost without Christ. Let's narrow the scope a little bit, come down to Cleburne, Texas, where we are, where we find roughly 3,500 teenagers live in our city, in Cleburne, Texas. And according to that stat, 7 out of 10 people in Texas don't know Christ, that would mean about 2,400. In fact, 2,450 teenagers out of 3,500 in Cleveland, Texas are lost without Christ. Why do I give you those numbers to say that in relation to the cause, Matthew 28, go make disciples, there is a great cause before us. There's a lot of work to be done for the sake of the cause reaching all with the gospel of Jesus Christ, going and making disciples. Going back to this misconception that says, well, sharing the gospel, making disciples, that's the pastor's job. That's the preacher's job. They went to school for it. They got a degree. They're gifted in it. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Let me give you two scenarios. Addition versus multiplication. Multiplication first scenario is this. It's the scenario of addition. Let's say we have 10 preachers, 10 evangelists, great preachers, ones who can so effectively and beautifully communicate the gospel to audiences. Let's say we have 10 preachers, 10 evangelists, and they convert 1,000 people to Christ per day. 10 preachers converting 1,000 people to Christ per day. That sounds awesome. That would be amazing. That would be a miracle let's stack it up against another scenario scenario number two multiplication ten disciples followers of christ look at the new testament disciples ragtag bunch misfit toys seemingly random group of guys picked by the sovereign grace of god ten disciples replicating themselves each year meaning you have ten disciples who make ten disciples over the course of the year after that year those 20 make 20 more multiplication Scenario number one, addition. Ten preachers leading 1,000 people to Christ every day. By that formula, in that scenario, it would take 1,753 years to reach the world for Christ. And that's if no one else was born. Scenario number two, multiplication. Ten disciples replicating themselves each year by year thirty. 10,737,418,280 10,737,418,280 disciples would be made. Multiplication greater than addition. As disciples, we are called to multiply ourselves. It's God's design for the local church and for kingdom growth for disciples to make disciples. It's where it's found in the cause, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And even Jesus even promised, he coupled that command with a promise. Go and make disciples, and I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. Which that promise, which is coupled with that command in Matthew 28, should drown out what I'll identify here in a second as the biggest contributor why you and I don't share our faith at all, or if not more frequently. Through my time, not just in ministry, but my time just in church, which has been my entire life, knowing people who share their faith often, who don't at all, who are on fire for Jesus, who are very stale in their walk with Christ, as teenagers, young adults, older adults, what I've identified as the largest contributor to us not sharing our faith at all, if not more frequently, is that of fear. We're afraid. And this fear can take a few different forms. It can be a fear of a loss of social status. We don't want to share the gospel because we're afraid of what other people might think about us. We're afraid we might lose friends over it. In front we might be seen as an outcast, as a weirdo, as a freak because of it. We're, we have a fear of a loss of social status. We may have a fear of uncomfortable conversations. Bringing up Jesus to somebody in 2019, well, we don't want to offend them. We don't want to tell them that their sin is sending them to hell. That sounds pretty, pretty mean, pretty morbid. We're afraid of uncomfortable conversations. And the third form I think this fear can take is the fear of not knowing what to say. This might be the most common one, which may be legitimate, but in large part is an excuse. The fear of not knowing what to say. I love the idea of sharing Jesus with somebody, but what if they ask me a question I don't know how to answer it? I'm not sure exactly how to lay out the gospel for somebody. Again, maybe it ties with number two, uncomfortable, the fear of uncomfortable conversations. When I was 16, I started to learn how to drive. I was a year behind, so I got my permit when I was 16, license when I was 17, besides the point. But I remember, I'll never forget, when I started driving, you know, you start in parking lots, driving around, learn how to park, parallel park between cones, start to go out in the streets, and before long, take the car, take your motor vehicle out on the highway. Now, most of you listening probably drive. Majority of you listening probably drive. And, or maybe learning how to drive, and you probably relate to me, the first time you took a car on the highway, it was terrifying. Like, that's scary. Operating a machine at a high speed, around other similar machines at high speed. <laughs> I had a great fear of driving at the age of 16 when I first started to learn how to operate a vehicle. Fast forward, i have been driving for nearly 10 years, and now driving is second nature. You just get in the car, you put it in reverse, you back up, put it in drive, you go, you turn on your blinker, you turn, you you. you, you Break at a stoplight or a stop sign, you go, it's second nature. You don't even think about it. Cheering the gospel is the same way. I'll never forget the first time I ever engaged a stranger with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was in Albany, New York, on a church mission trip. I was a senior in high school. We were doing street evangelism. I approached this kid. His name was Devin, he was 13. I struck up conversation with him and started asking him about himself. Before we knew it, there was kind of a doorway in our conversation, so I kicked it through started sharing Jesus with him. He started asking weird questions. I remember, he asked me about aliens. And talk about not knowing what to say. I said, hey, I'll get back to you about the aliens. (laughs) And through the worst gospel presentation in the history of mankind with me stumbling over my words, seemingly being so unclear, but at the end of my time, at the end of my presentation of Jesus in the gospel, I laid out an invitation for him to accept. And somehow, by the grace of God, in that moment, Devin cried out to Jesus for salvation. Approaching that conversation, and in the midst of that conversation, I was nearly paralyzed in fear. And if I told you fear never played a factor in my life today when it came to sharing the gospel with people I know or people I don't know, I'd be lying. But by the grace of God and repetition, it has become second nature to bring up Jesus in the gospel and conversations with people and present the good news of Jesus to those who are in need. Jesus, in Matthew 4, 19, calls his disciples. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll teach you how to preach. He didn't say, come follow me. I'll teach you how to be a good dad or mom or student. He didn't say, come follow me. I'll teach you how to pray. He said, come follow me and I'll teach you how to be fishers of men. Now, when I read that verse, something stands out to me. This truth that we as followers of Christ, it is our primary calling and work to be fishers of men, to be disciple makers. This is the first priority. This is the primary calling, primary work of the, fo- of the disciple of Jesus, to make other disciples. Again, we're called to replicate ourselves, multiply ourselves. That's God's strategy on earth to usher in heaven, to further his kingdom that disciples would multiply themselves by making more disciples. Going back to this fear, the biggest contributor I really believe in us not sharing our faith more often, if not at all, is fear. Like the idea of engaging someone, a stranger or a friend or a family member, in a gospel conversation strikes us, paralyzes us, in fact, with fear so often. But you know what? I love that. I love that it makes us afraid. Why? Because it makes us pray. And I think the disciples in the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they recognized that their first calling, their first work was to go make disciples, and that was never going to happen if they weren't in prayer. They approached Jesus, and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And while we don't get much evidence in the New Testament of the disciples praying and what their model prayer looked like, we do get evidence often of what Jesus' prayers look like. And if Jesus was the one teaching his disciples, it would make a lot of sense for the disciples' prayers to look like that of Christ. And Christ's prayers were for the lost. He had a deep compassion and love for the lost. You see this in John 17 where he prayed for believers and then he prayed for those who don't know him and said, Lord, Father, my Father, I pray that the church would be unified in such a way that they, the lost, would come to know you. I believe that gospel advancement, gospel explosion, kingdom growth, local church growth, numerically and spiritually, will happen when the church... Not just the pastor, not just the youth pastor, not just the staff, but the church, the people of God, the family of God. I believe this gospel movement, advancement, explosion will happen when the church is prayer filled, unified, and bold. And we're prayer filled, recognizing that only God can do such a work to save the lost. But He uses us as His primary vehicle, His vessel. This gospel exp- advancement, this gospel explosion, church growth is going to happen when the church, when we are prayer filled, when we're unified in love and mission and devotion to one another, and when we're bold, quick to share the gospel with those we know who don't know Christ. If you're listening to this, I want to give you three things you can take home. Meaning like as soon as you stop listening to this audio, you can start doing these things. You can do them right after you close this app. Number one, pray for a heart of compassion like Jesus. Pray for a heart of compassion like Jesus. Read Matthew 9 verse 35 and 38 and see where Jesus looked on the crowds and saw that they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that's when he began to tell his disciples to pray because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Pray for a heart of compassion like Jesus. Second thing you can do is this pray for your lost friends like never before. Identify those three, those four, those five, those ten, those twenty. That you know, your teammates, your classmates, your family, your neighbors who don't know Jesus, write their names down. Keep, them, keep that piece of paper in a place where you see it, on your mirror, next to your bed, in your Bible, and pray for those like never before, daily, regularly, that the Lord would do such a work in their life that He would save them, that He would use you to save them. Your witness, your words, your testimony to bring them to faith in Christ. Pray for your lost friends like never before. And the third and final thing you can do today, as soon as you turn off this audio, is commit to the cause. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Truly, I think we can do a whole lot of other things right. We can pray well. I think we've got the fellowship thing down pretty well. We can put on good events. We can be unified. But if we're not unified in going, making disciples, I think we're missing the point. I think we've got it all wrong. Hey, thanks for listening to the Field Street Students Podcast. Uh, Subscribe to it. Share it. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, don't be a moron. We'll see you later.